Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you revealed through your holy church throughout the ages the love of a father who couldn't be separated from us. Thank you for revealing to us, Lord God, the power of worship, the very reason that Abraham was tested to lay down his eldest son, a prefigurement of Jesus, to worship you, Lord God, even giving up his only son, And then Moses and all of those held in captivity, freed for the purpose of worship, all culminating in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who takes on flesh and blood, is here in our midst, summoning us to surrender fears. Flood our hearts and minds with your presence. As we're emptied of junk, fill us with your holy presence that we may overflow with joy. Tonight, Lord, help us just to surrender to surrender, to surrender lesser things for greater. So every week we are going to um, have a new message as indicated in that prayer. This first week is on family freedom. Second week, once we are emptied, is on fulfillment, on being filled. And the third is the overflow, fruition, the movements of Christ himself, empty, fill, and overflow. I'm getting excited for Jesus to be out with us, right? Do you feel it? Um, When we lived in Erie, Pennsylvania, something that we enjoyed doing so much, and we were pretty regulars, if you will, we we would make a little trip to Niagara Falls, which was only like an hour and a half from our house. And just this incredible, majestic awe, literally awesome, full of awe, um, creation of the Lord. And the kids would look forward to it. And so there was one particular day that we were there and we were crossing over the streets to walking toward the falls. And we were blessed with six children in seven years. So the kids were very accustomed to the comments that Greg and I would often get from others around us, which I won't repeat many of those. But, um, but they just kind of, you know, went with the flow or whatever. So this particular day, we're crossing the street. It was pretty busy. And, you know, it was like little ducklings coming across, and they were all lined up in a row. And there was a mom and a teenage daughter who, for whatever reason, thought that this was like a, a preschool of children or something. And their eyes got real wide, and you see the little head bopping like this. And our oldest daughter, Annie, who was leading the line, said, there are six of us. And Joseph, without missing a beat, said, and they're all ours. And they kept walking. So, and it was a great witness. You know, I'm glad that they said that because I was getting a little indignant at the look that they were getting, but it was a beautiful witness. So here we are tonight in this beautiful church, returning to Bethlehem, if you will. And how many of us in our own lives don't have those moments where we're really yearning for greater presence of God in our life? And so I use that story for two Um, points, if you will. One was, here we are at Niagara Falls, one of the seven wonders of the world, right? Just this incredible creation of God. 
his presence, his majesty. There's, they say anywhere from like 700,000 to 44 million gallons of water that pour through the falls on a given day. Like that's crazy, the hydroelectric power that comes from that. And yet, what does God give us to show his presence even greater than that creation of Niagara Falls? where he shows his image in the family. Those six little ducklings, if you will, crossing the street, that is a true wonder of the world. We gather as families in God's presence to be God's presence to the world. The falls and all that power is an image of God's grace in our life what he desires to do, just pouring down with all of that power and grace. And so tonight we consider what are those things that stand in the way? God's grace is always pressing in on us. What do we need to do to let that pour forth in an abundance even greater than Niagara Falls? So we are a sacramental people. I want you to hold that candle in your hand. Steph, do you have my candle? We come into your presence, Lord, in the name again. We're going to be doing this, but so beautiful to speak of the Trinity in whom. Think about that, that we enter into the life of the living God in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So dispel all distractions. Right now, Holy Spirit, please illuminate our memories, hearts, and minds, the ways and times we've hurt others. Help us look beyond our protective wall, perhaps, of shame. Again, think of your parents, think of siblings, think of past girlfriends, boyfriends, think of coaches, think of teachers, think of friends in the schoolyard, people we work with. For what I've done, I am truly sorry. I encourage you to take your nearest opportunity to express this apology to them. Now with that barrier hopefully removed so that we can experience that Niagara Falls of grace, let's turn to forgiveness. So remaining in prayer with our candles in our hands, Holy Spirit, please illuminate our memories, hearts, and minds, the ways and times others have hurt us. Again, Holy Spirit, help us look beyond the walls we've built to protect our brokenness. As you allowed yourself to be broken, so allow us now to let our wounds be revealed. Make us aware of what anyone has said or done to hurt us, members of our family, friends, people we've known, past or present. Holy Spirit, we desire true healing that comes from our heartfelt forgiveness. We want to be free. And Spirit, awaken us to those people for whom we hold grudges, for whom we feel discontent, anger. Something wells up inside of us when we think of those moments, those memories, those people. For what they have done, I truly forgive them. Finally, throughout Scripture, we know the great book Screwtape Letters that illuminates for us how the enemy whispers and lies to us, tells us things of our nature and identity that are absolutely false. We're not even aware of it. And for many of us, they become welcomed guests in our, in our souls that cause and stir up discord. So right now, with power, in the name of Jesus, we're going to name some of these. 
again, to be free of the debris that that Niagara Falls of grace can just flood our souls. God made us for himself. He loves us so profoundly. The enemy wants to haunt us with lies. So right now, remaining in prayer, let's name those whispering lies of the enemy. After each one, please join me in declaring, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Pride, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Control, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Anxiety and depression, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Envy and jealousy, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Self-pity, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Blame, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Those whispers that say you're ugly, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Rejection, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Insecurity and fear, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. All addiction, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Failure, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Lust, revenge, shame, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Narcissism and vanity, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Self-righteousness, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Stubbornness, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. Entitlement and ingratitude and all lies, in the name of Jesus, I renounce you. If you're experiencing right now even just a little trickle of grace, just take a moment, let it flow. The grace of apology and forgiveness and renouncing these three powerful things that free us from junk, that we can be flooded with his holy presence to overflow. We're going to uh, light the candles and I invite you to come forward down the middle and then back around to the sides. But place the candle wherever you'd like in the burning bush and we'll be readying ourselves for the revelation of Jesus in exposition.
Tonight's theme is family freedom. And with the way we live our lives today in the 21st century, the pace, the speed, it's often a mystery as to how we can make our families better, make our family lives better. With all that's going on in the world, I'm reminded of a story of a woman who throughout her whole life would watch the news and get upset. Oh, God has got to come down here and get a hold of the problems we have in this world. We need God down here to just take care of everything. She dies. She meets Jesus face to face. And she asks him, why didn't you come down here to take care of things? You know what his answer was? I had you, didn't I? This is what we are all about. If we want to be the change in the world, we need the grace to be the change in the world. In a few minutes here, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to bring Jesus down here for you to approach. Look into your hearts. Find what it is that's keeping you from being a better father, a better mother, a better brother, sister, friend, whatever it may be. We have that uh, public service announcement about wearing your seat belts, a seat belt. What's holding you back? So what's holding you back tonight from becoming the person that God wants you to be? What's holding you back from receiving the fullness of that grace so that you can be not only a better person, but an example for others to follow and to mimic? Because that's what we're all called to do. You know, I tell my students, there are about 300 priests and deacons in this diocese and tens of thousands of Catholics. Who do you think can do a better job evangelizing? 300 or 150,000? It's up to you. You're being called to do this, and it has to start right in your families. It has to start with your children, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, whatever. And then it moves outward like ripples in a pond. This is what we are trying to do. This is what we need to do if we're to change the world we're in. And so I will now bring Jesus down, kneel here with him, and you may approach him. Empty your souls. Ask him, what is it in my life that's holding me back from getting closer to you? What is it that's holding me back from being the person you want me to be? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer it with the help of Jesus.
how powerful to anticipate Jesus and then to be with you. And I have to say, when you read the paper and everything happening around us, so many things pretend to be powerful. I don't think I've experienced anything quite as powerful as you young families with your children and the little forms of praise. I hope you're never ashamed of that, bringing them here. Such delight and God has such a destiny, such a purpose for them on this night, coming to this country parish, to come to the presence of Jesus. It was so powerful to see some of them come forward and to look and to be totally captivated two things. Confessions are still going on. I see the door open. Uh, So Father is open for business. If you're struggling and you're looking for a sign that maybe that is you, let this be the sign. It's you. Um, Don't miss the opportunity to be emptied. Of course, every week we will have confessions next Tuesday. Bring somebody with you. welcome you here tonight the second stop of the three stop journey into the heart of Christ mass and I just have this word in my heart last week the word was faith without friction is fiction the Lord allows friction he allows forces of the world around us marriages families school things happening to cause us to strengthen those muscles of faith We talked about emptying ourselves, so we continue that process. It isn't a one-time deal. We want to be emptied, right? So apology and forgiveness and renouncing lies. Let's just keep doing that. Of course, we're blessed to have Father Eric Culler hearing confessions. I encourage you to avail yourself at any time to uh, Father. If you see that door open, make a beeline. So tonight, the word that was really strong in my heart was... Of all of the things that are competing for our affections, I've got them, you've got them. Make it about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Not the person next to you on the left or the right. This very church speaks to us. The building on this campus, on this place, holy ground, was taken out three times. What's unique about this church, therefore, is that you've got a door to the side. It's not to the front, right? Most churches, you can enter in through that front door. Well, they did that because engineers, architects, the wind comes from the west, and that that was the occasion of the damage, that there was no fortification against that wind, apparently. And what this beautiful church also speaks to me about here in this countryside under a starlit sky and entering into the, the depths of Christ's mass, this church asks us the question, where is your door facing? Where is your door facing? Is it facing the danger? Is it facing the negativity, the lies about us? We've all got them. Or are we facing truth and goodness and holiness, the door to our souls? So again, the first part is anticipation. We're gonna continue to enter into worship. We're gonna hear a short story and we're gonna transition with the procession of the candles. And then we will have the solemn moment of Jesus being exposed before us. We call that Emmanuel, God with us. 
and we're going to enter into a time of worship. And I do invite you to be mind, make it about Jesus. Don't worry about the person you're left and right. Just pour yourself out in praise. If you need a song sheet, I don't know if we have any left, but if you've got one, use it. Make use of it. As Rich Mullins said, if God gave you a bad voice, torture him with it. I need you to soften my heart and break me apart. I need you to open my eyes and see that is shaping my life. All I am, I what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my life thank you so much worship team and let us just continue in our hearts, even though the music has subsided, we just continue to experience those streams of living water flowing toward Christ, our King, in anticipation of exposition. So tonight, um, my wife was uh, blessed to be in attendance at the birth of little baby Elmore, baby number five. And so that's why she's not here right now. Um, they had a home birth and beautiful little Jude Dominic. My son Dominic is the godfather. And so we lift them up. They were here last week and um, lift up the five boys and them on this night. Some of you in here are pregnant also. But what a beautiful punctuation of that gift of physical life in a mother. Here we are in the arms of our immaculate conception of our mother, right? Bringing us to Jesus. We are in the womb of God's heart. What a beautiful image. Anyways, last week was about um, being emptied. This week is about formation. We might say being filled, and I'm blessed to invite Andrew Reinhardt. He works for the diocese. He's a dear brother in Christ. He's been on a radio program. Check out his own podcast, his beautiful wife, Brittany, and Solanus may give us a few shout-outs during this, but he's chilling back there right now. But very blessed to have Andrew share with us some words. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Greg. So I'm here to talk a little bit about family formation. When the church talks about formation, it talks about it a lot when it talks about forming priests. But here's the deal. Priests are just people. So what the church says about forming priests, we can also apply to our families. And when the church talks about forming priests, it talks about four pillars of formation. I think when we think about formation, a lot of people fall into the air that information is formation. Meaning if I want to change my life, I just need to learn more. But that's not what the church proposes to us. When the church talks about forming priests, there's four pillars. Human formation is the foundation. Intellectual formation is there. It's important, but it's not everything. Spiritual formation, your prayer life, your relationship with God, and pastoral formation, your ability to, to share the gospel with others. See, priests go to seminary because they're entering into a supernatural vocation, so they need, they need more time. But if you're married, right, you don't go to seminary, do you? Any of you guys go to seminary before you get married? I did, but that's because I thought I was supposed to be a priest. But most of us get what, like maybe six months of formation with a priest or something, and a lot of times that's not even particularly that substantive. 
And the reason why that is is because we're meant to be formed in our families. We're meant to be formed in our families. Meaning your foundational lessons about how to be human, how to love the Lord, how to think, how to share the gospel, it's meant to happen right here with one another. This is one of the scariest paragraphs in the entire catechism I'm going to share with you. I only got one catechism quote, I promise. This is paragraph 239. It says, By calling God Father, the language of faith indicates two main things, that God is the first origin of everything and transcendent authority, and that he is at the same time goodness and loving care for all of his children. God's paternal tenderness can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which emphasizes God's imminence, the intimacy between creator and creature. It goes on and says, The language of faith thus draws on the human experience of parents, who are in a way the first representatives of God to man. But this experience also tells us that human parents are fallible and can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. That our human experience can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. This is one of the biggest challenges in our parishes because when the kids show up for their first communion and you tell them that God's their father and God loves them, well, one, they have to know what fatherhood is and two, they have to know what love is. You sit down with a lot of kids these days and you tell them that God's their parent and God loves them, they say, I don't know if I want that. Right? Because that hasn't been their experience. So the, the, the gut check question tonight is, is my family configuring the face of God for others or disfiguring the face of God for others? Is my family configuring the face of God for others or disfiguring the face of God for others? The first catechism, the very first catechism we all experience is the bodies of our mother The first catechism we all experience is the bodies of our mother. Our our brain starts laying down implicit memory even when we're in the womb. And these foundational experiences of connection and love form the neurological basis for all of our behavior. So the experience of being in the womb, the experience of being held, of being touched, of being fed, Even when you're a little baby, right, this is the foundation of your experience of the world. And even from the beginning, the face of God is either being configured or disfigured in that little person. See, our our brains are like dual processors. One side of our brain runs on information, and that side of the brain is the part that works when everything's good. The other side of our brain runs on attachment, love, and joy. And when stuff isn't going too well, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, when you're frustrated, when you're at your wit's end, this is, this is the part of your neuroarchitecture that takes over. Right? This is why sometimes it's really easy to do what you want to do and be the person you want to be. And then there's other moments when it's not. Right, think of those areas in your life that you wish weren't the case. The sins you can't stop committing, 
the things that you regret, the places where you feel shame, right? This is why self-help books don't help that much. Right? If, if, if our whole brain just worked on information, you'd read the first book and it would all be better. Right? You'd get through the catechism and you'd be perfect. Because all the information would be there. That's not the way that we're designed by God. Think of Jesus' ministry. What the heck was Jesus doing with those 12 apostles? Why did he get them together and live with them for three years? It wasn't just about the teachings, the information he gave them. He lived with them because he was reconfiguring their hearts by their experience of not just what he said, but by the catechism of his body. So I'm going to give you uh, kind of three practical takeaways with this idea tonight. When a, a baby's really little, like six months old or so, Right? They're not really remembering a whole lot. They're not picking up on language. One of the primary experiences that they have is the delight of their parents' face. And one of the most important things for these little ones is to experience the joy and the light on someone else's face. And this, this feeds them, this forms them, this transforms them. Right? And when God presents himself to us in the scripture, like we heard, he presents himself to us as a father. And when God talks about our conversion, he talks about it as a new birth. This means when we're being formed into God's image and likeness, we can expect that the way God's going to form us in our new birth is going to be similar to the way that God's formed us in our first birth. Make sense? All right, so let's look at a couple scripture verses on this. This is from the second letter to the Corinthians. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to bring the light, bring to light the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. This is how the chosen people would bless one another. From the book of Numbers, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. From Psalm 21, you make him the pattern of blessing forever. You gladden him with the joy of your face. For the king trusts in the Lord, stands firm through the mercy of the Most High. The king that trusts in the Lord stands firm in the mercy of of the Most High. Right? The king doesn't stand firm in the information of the Most High, in the lessons of the Most High, in the book that he read about the Most High. It's in the joy of God's face and the experience of God's mercy. So this is lesson number one. Give one another the joy of your face. All right, what does this practically mean? It means as much as possible, you need to take these phones and throw them in the trash and take your TVs and throw those in the trash too. And if you have them, use them as little as possible because what does this do? Your face goes dead when you're staring at this thing. For a little one, it's terribly disorienting, right? Because their, their emotions are regulating off of yours. 
And even for adults, it's disconnecting and alienating. So there's almost nothing more important than you can do for one another than to offer one another your face. You know, tonight we're going to go to adoration, right? Ad, ad ora. Anyone know Latin here? Ad is to or toward ora is the mouth. So to go to adoration is to be mouth to mouth with God, right? Face to face. What do we call heaven? Heaven's the beatific vision where we'll stare at God's face for all eternity. We have a great classical devotion to the face of Jesus, the holy face. Right, what is all this saying? It's saying that God delights in us. And one of the foundational experiences of our formation is to experience God's delight in us and then to offer that delight to one another. Here's the second practical tip. No one's perfect. Accept it. So what our life has to be, it has to be an ongoing journey we can fall into an error in our church where we think we have some sins that are really bad, right? And these are the sins that we all need to make sure we stop doing. And until we stop doing those things, like we, we just need to do nothing else, right? But then there's other sins that we have that are like fine. These are the okay things. It's like if it has anything to do with like getting angry or consuming the wrong thing, or being unchaste, or something like that. Like, these are all the really bad sins. But then there's all these other sins that are like sins of our tongue, right? Maybe a little bit of gossip, a little bit of detraction, a little bit of calumny. Maybe things like the fact that we don't give any alms, you know? You know, all this stuff we're like, we're fine with, right? And the reality is that we need to seek the Lord with our whole heart. What can happen when, when we're in a cycle where we feel stuck? We can go on one extreme to the point where we, where we lose our joy, we disconnect. We listen to the enemy's lie that we're worthless, that we're bad, that God couldn't love us. And on the other extreme, we can fall into the lie that everything is fine, that we're okay, that we don't do anything all that bad, that we can just coast. But in a world with original sin, there's no coasting. Neutral's an illusion. We're either getting closer to God or further away. So there's no greater gift than we can give to each other after the joy of our face than our continual growth and conversion. Right? If you want to see a transformation of heart in your children, let them see your transformation of heart. If you want their chil your children to change, you change. And, and that will inspire them. All right, then the final practical tip is in forgiveness, in mercy. Last time we emptied ourselves, we asked the Lord for forgiveness. But everything we do in our relationship with God, we have to put flesh on with our relationship with one another. Right? We receive our Lord here in the sacraments, but the structure of our life should have a sacramental structure. So what we do here should form our day-to-day -day living 
And then our day-to-day living prepares us to receive the grace that's offered to us here. So maybe you feel like you've really screwed up. Or maybe you spent the last year staring at your phone. (laughs) Maybe every once in a while you fly off the handle at your kids. Maybe you hit one of them for the wrong reason. Right, maybe at night when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you look at stuff that you know you shouldn't. Maybe, maybe every night when you sit down and watch TV, you can't help but eat a whole bag of chips. <laughs> right, I don't know what your stuff is. I don't know, and I don't need to know. But, the, but there's few things more powerful once you've messed up than simply recognizing it. I, I've, I've heard the testimony of, of um, many older adults who have had deep conversions of heart by apologizing to their adult children, by simply recognizing, look, I screwed up. Have mercy on me. And that sets the child free, and that also sets the parent free. In our family, part of the, part of the Live It Guide, right? You're, one of the things we're starting with in the Live It Guide is reconciliation, asking for mercy from one another, asking for forgiveness, and then offering that forgiveness, not just saying, oh, it's okay, it's fine, which is basically saying it's not such a big deal, right? Or I'm not that important to need to be uh, asked to be forgiven by. But actually to say, I forgive you, I forgive you, to offer them that freedom, And I think in these foundational human experiences, offering your face to one another, offering the joy, the light, the delight of the face, and that continuous growth, that continuous striving together, and then finally seeking mercy, reconciliation, forgiveness from one another, we can be on this journey together this Advent to configure the face of God in our families so we can be that witness of God to one another. So this evening when we're in adoration together, experiencing the delight of God's face expressed to us sacramentally through the Eucharist, uh, I just pray that you could spend some time reflecting on uh, how God sees you, those areas of your life that you can enter in and transform your heart even further, and then uh, just ask his mercy and forgiveness. If it's here in the sacrament of reconciliation or with one another in the room. So God bless everyone.
2,000 years ago, there was a baby born in Bethlehem, and nobody noticed. Oh, the animals in the manger noticed, of course, because the baby and the parents were invading their space. And the shepherds noticed because they had angels tell them that a Savior had been born. Hard to pass that. And also, the three kings noticed because astrology was their hobby. But no one else noticed. 2,000 years later, too many people don't notice. You're here tonight because you noticed. And because of this, you've been put on notice. Jesus needs each and every one of you to help others notice him. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to bring that monstrance containing Jesus down for you to approach. Come forward, reach out to him. Ask him to forgive those times when you didn't notice Jesus in your family members, in your friends, in your co-workers. Ask him to give you the grace to be him to your family, your friends, and your co-workers. The world is the way it is today because too many people do not notice him. But we're not called to complain, we're not called to lament. We are called to act. We are called to act in such a way that we get noticed. And then we can get others to notice Jesus through us. So come forward and tell the King of Kings that you are not going to let him go unnoticed anymore. Beginning one with God, the Lord most high, your hidden glory in creation, and now revealed in you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is! What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is, and nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus. What a wonderful name it is, the name of 
so this is the third stop of Presents for Christmas. The first night focused on freedom. Then the second week, we focused on formation. And the third night tonight is on fruition. So as I prayed about a word, kept hearing this word vacate. And so, first of all, I'm thinking, okay, many of us are now on vacation, those who are students, maybe. How many of you are students and you're off now for Christmas? Most of you. So vacation, right? And then I also thought, well, vacancy at the end, right? There was vacancy that impelled the Holy Family to have to go, if, if you will, to a cave, a stable. But I wasn't nearly that holy to think of either of those. What came to mind was the movie, What About Bob? Any of you guys What About Bob fans? Richard Dreyfus is Dr. Leo Marvin. His patient, Bill Murray, is, uh, is Bob. And there's a scene in here where Bob is shutting down. I mean, he's just, he's not in a good way. You know, he's having some struggles, and he finds his way to Dr. Leo Marvin's vacation house. And Dr. Leo Marvin, in this interaction with Bob, pulls out his little prescription book, and he gets a pen, and Bill Murray playing Bob again says, no, no, I don't need pharmaceuticals, I don't need drugs, no. And he says, no, Bob, I'm going to write you a prescription to take a vacation. A vacation from your... Thank you, Steph. Vacation from your problems. So, no, it's not a vacation from your everyday life. It's not a vacation from getting up or work or school or the ordinary things we need to do. But every time you face discord, every time you face anxiety, every time you face any struggle interiorly, I'm giving you permission to take a vacation from that. And that spoke to me tonight and invites you to maybe receive the same, that God is giving us tonight permission to take a vacation, to allow all the junk or stuff that might be haunting you up to this point, that it be freed, that we take a vacation from that. Second point that flows from that is, of course, we're going to enter in a moment back into worship. Now, the root word of worship is to give something worth Think about that, to give something worth. Many of us all the time in our hearts are giving different things worth, but do they merit the worth that we give them? Just to do a little test, I see my boy Jack over here. Jack, I'm going to put you on the spot. So if I came over to Jack, one of my favorite little dudes, Jack McDonough, say hi, Jack. So if I came to Jack and I said, Jack, here's a penny, how excited would you be about this penny? Exactly, not very excited. Say, now, Jack, you and I bond over a particular series of books. One of them in particular is The Hobbit. And there's a particular creature, a dragon, who goes by the name of? Smog. Right. And Smog in this awesome, huge palace cave, what is he surrounded by? Treasure. Treasure. Enormous treasure. Now, when I asked you about the penny, you didn't seem too excited about that, but what if I said to you, Jack, smog's gone, and all of this treasure is yours? How excited would you be? I don't know. See, he's a moral kid. He's a, he, he knows there's higher values than treasures. The point is, our souls would be more excited about that than just if you saw a penny on the ground, which you might just step on and walk over. Am I, am I right? I'm right. Let me ask the question. The God of the universe who made you and me. How do our souls respond knowing he is with us and he is in our presence? Are we giving God his worth? 
So in a moment right now, we're going to turn to worship, and I invite us to think about if we're vacated of all the distractions and lesser things, can we give God and pray for the grace to give him worth it? Now let me make a point here. It doesn't matter if you feel it. Don't wait for a feeling. It doesn't matter if everybody around you gets it or doesn't get it. God made you personally, and you will stand, we will stand before him one day by ourselves, and the whole measure of our existence, the reason the Hebrews were freed from Egypt, the reason why Christ came into this world is to free us to give him worship. He suffered and died after taking the form of flesh and blood so that we could worship him. So I'm inviting us to, to, if you will, even if we don't feel it, to pour ourselves out in singing as best as we know these songs without regard to the person to the left and to the right of you because, again, in life and that one day before God, it's gonna be the degree to which our souls have been rightly habituated, the deepest desires of our hearts, these habits that are interior, are they rightly attuned to him who made us for himself? So this is our third stop. The Hunter Brinkers, we pray prayers of healing over their family. Also the Millers next door are all sick, so we thank Laura for her amazing hospitality on behalf of Holy Trinity, who's been awesome um, these past weeks. So if we could keep them in prayer also. But Ellen and um, Brett Hunter Brinker were giving the talk tonight, so please forgive us for reading, but they really wanted us to share what they had to say. And so they said... Greg and Stephanie asked us to speak tonight on family fruitfulness. We are a bit humbled to be up here to cover this topic as we look out and see many great families who've inspired us and motivate us to do better. We'll give a disclaimer that we are a family that is a work in progress and we are still learning, often learning as we go or learning in retrospect. What does family fruitfulness mean? My initial thought goes to Genesis 1.28, where God says, be fruitful and multiply. I used to take this in the literal, physical sense of having children to multiply, but I understand that it can mean so much more. Let's take a quick look at the basic definition of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is a state of being extremely productive or prolific. Simple enough, but I think we can often confuse being productive with being busy, and that busyness does not lead us closer to God or to one another. Another explanation states, fruitful activity multiplies or adds to what's already there, producing more of something. I think this gets us all a little bit closer to family fruitfulness. We're all part of a family unit. I think we can all agree that we want to see our family unit thrive in growing closer to one another and closer to God. It's important for us then to discern what activities in our lives are helping us to add to what's already there of value or what activity we can multiply to the benefit of our family. Utilizing the sacraments, especially the sacrament of reconciliation and receiving the Holy Eucharist come to mind. And with you all being here tonight, I think I can safely say is a fruitful activity. One final thought from my online search of fruitfulness. The question I came across was, how can we be fruitful for God? The brief answer, if you pursue goodness, knowledge, 
self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, you will be fruitful, whatever you try, wherever God calls you. Let's use the virtue of charity or love in the context of this. If we're making effort to grow in and better understand charity, we'll hopefully grow as a family unit. We'll grow closer to one another and to God. We're adding to what we already have, and when our fruitful activity is based in virtue, I can only imagine that activity will benefit our family. Maybe we should have led with this thought. Our ultimate goal for our family is to get one another to heaven. Our challenge daily is to figure out if what we're actually living out is helping us to achieve this unsurpassed goal. Or are we living in a way that is taking us away from this goal? We have a poster hanging up in our house that asks, how can I help my family today? As often as I walk by that poster, I don't always embrace that task, but I think it's a good question for us. So I'll ask you, how can you help your family today, tomorrow, in the next week? I would challenge us all here that one answer may lie in having a focus on family fruitfulness. And trust me when I say I'm including myself in this challenge. And if we use virtue as the basis of our focus on fruitfulness, then I think we're all off to a great start. We've especially found this true in surrounding ourselves with good families who live or are striving to live Christ-centered lives. When we challenge and support one another, we can grow as a family and as a community. In our family, life is busy and crazy, and oftentimes it feels like we're running on a hamster wheel, getting nowhere with our kids or with each other. Little inserts, they are blessed with five children and one on the way with a set of twins in the mix. However, when we pause and take intentional time with one another each week, specifically in the use of the Livet Guide, for those of you new here tonight, if you haven't heard of the Livet Guide, it's a tool offered by Mass Impact to get to know one another and your family better and to dive deeper into the upcoming Mass readings. But if we make this intentional time, we find our relationships feel less strained and we can be more attentive to how we can help each other in our family. We see bits of family fruitfulness, quicker apologies, more patience, better sharing, and kinder words being said. And though we have a long way to go and to grow, we have hope for our family. So as we continue in this last week of Advent, just days before Christ's Mass, and as we prepare to bring our candles forward to the burning bush, Let's check ourselves and our intentions. Are we living with family fruitfulness in mind, or are we not? Do we have Christ at the center of our lives, or do we need to redirect ourselves? Let's ask God in his presence tonight how we can help our families today. We hope and pray that you and your families have a blessed Christmas. Thank you.